It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm also uh, one of the certified financial planners on the program, also your host. With me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. More and more people have an HSA-eligible, high-deductible health plan. Could be through work, could be through the marketplace, your own private plan. If that's you, if you're eligible, we sure hope you're funding an HSA. And as much as we love to talk about the tax benefits, there's also some tax traps. So we're going to help unpack those today on today's episode. That's right. There's nothing worse than a tax surprise, like a negative tax surprise. Just uh, can't can't stand it. We're going to help you avoid some of those. I can think uh, of a few things worse, Mike. <laughs> just, okay. just for the record, I'm, I'm not trying to but be... But it's on the list, Kevin. But it's, it's close. I'm not campaigning to be the mayor of Literalville here, but uh, I can think of a few things. All right, worse. that's fair. Okay. That's fair right. enough. Okay. The plan is to get to questions from fans of the show. We've got a long list. We're yes. hoping to hit that. We'd love to hear from you. You can call or text us, 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, Wise Money Show. You can submit questions right there. And then all over social media, most questions come on the YouTube channel, Wherever you're at, we are there as well. All right. So do you have an HSA plan? Ding, ding. Gotcha. That's, so listen, it's a high deductible, <laughs> high deductible health plan that's HSA eligible. And gosh, guys, remember like way back when high, you know, high deductible, that's always a relative term. Mm-hmm. But it used to be that, well, listen, you know, if your deductible is like three grand or higher, then it's, it's going to be HSA eligible. Not anymore. Not anymore. You can have very high deductible health or high high deductible health plans that are not HSA eligible. But if you have an HSA eligible high deductible health plan, you can fund an HSA. That's not use it or lose it. We're going to talk about those details first. Tons of tax benefits, but there's some tax traps. We're going to hit three scenarios you need to look out for as you get close to Medicare and into retirement. But let's first set the stage. We've done this several times. A couple of shows ago, we did this. The details, the basics of the HSA, how's it work? Well, think of the HSA as just an account that you can put money into that you're pre-planning to use for some sort of medical expense. Now that could be medical expenses that you uh, run into this year. Uh, As you fund the account, you immediately pull the money right back out to pay for those medical bills. Or there's actually ways that you could take advantage of of the HSA to fund medical bills out there in the future. you, you could even reimburse yourself for medical expenses today out there in the future. So there's actually a lot of flexibility in this thing, but not everybody is eligible, right? You have to be a part of a, a high deductible plan that is HSA eligible. There's very specific language and requirements that go into that. And if you're uh, you know signing up for your own private health insurance through the marketplace, you would want to see right on there in the title of the name, this is an HSA eligible plan, or if you're working for an employer that has a group plan, uh, you want to know, is this high deductible plan, is it actually HSA eligible? So you can take advantage of this tool, of, yeah. of this account um, in, in your own planning. So you set up, your if you're eligible, if you've got an eligible high deductible health plan, you can set up a bank account. Oftentimes your employer, HR, is going to have an easy way for you to do this that might not be the best one, but we'll, we can get into that, but set up a, a bank account where the money that goes in is pre-tax. If it's coming right out of your paycheck, 
it avoids federal tax, state tax, and even FICA tax. So those dollars actually aren't calculated in your Social Security uh, benefit because you're not paying Social Security tax on them. So not a big deal, but something to be aware of. So when you fund it right out of your paycheck and goes directly into the HSA, that bank account, then you're, you're avoiding federal, state, and FICA tax. The second way, though, is if you aren't funding your HSA out of your paycheck, then you fund it right from your, your checking account or whatever. And then it's a deduction on the front page of your tax return, still avoiding and saving you federal and state and state taxes. So uh, so that's how it works. The It's not use it or lose it. This is your account. It's your money. That's right. This money could sit in the HSA for months, days, weeks, years, yeah. even decades, right. right? So you have flexibility on when you draw the money out to reimburse your, yourself for those, those medical expenses. You also have a little bit of leeway on when you fund it. Uh, obviously, if you're um, contributing to this account every pay period right out of your paycheck, then you want to set this up at the beginning of the year, put it on autopilot, and by the end of the year, you will have funded exactly the amount that you intended to, to contribute. The other option is to contribute out of cash you already have on hand, as Mike was describing, and you actually have up until April of the following year to, to be able to fund that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people will use the HSA contribution as kind of a last minute tax planning tool when you're preparing your taxes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do this often with uh, my CPA. We'll get a draft of the tax return done, and then we'll have a conversation about, okay, is this going to be another year where we want to max out that HSA, uh, or is there kind of a sweet spot on how much to, to contribute? So you, you have some flexibility even on the timing that the money goes into the account. Speaking of what you can contribute, the IRS sets those limits, of course. And again, you first need to make sure that you're eligible. But after that, if it's an individual plan, then you can contribute up to 3850 this year. And that includes any employer contribution. So if your employer is contributing, then that counts towards that limit. On the 401k, any match doesn't count towards your limit. So this is another one that's just sort of weird with the HSA. If you've got a family plan, uh, then uh, your contribution limit is 7750. There is a catch-up contribution with the HSA as well, but it works unique in, in two different ways. Mm -hmm. Number one, the catch-up contribution starts when you turn age 55, not age 50. That's number one. And then number two, the catch-up is $1,000 per person, right? But your $1,000, typically you look at an HSA and you think, well, that's our money if you're married. That's a, that's a joint account. It's not. Yeah. It's just whoever opened it, okay? That's right. So if, if that person, that individual can do an extra 1000 of that one. But if, you're, if the spouse who didn't open the HSA... If they're 55 or older as well and also on the on the plan, they can open their own HSA and throw a thousand into that as well. And I, I had to learn this the hard way. Like th this is some of the, the battle scars that uh, yeah. I've accumulated over the years. When these first came out uh, and and the catch up contribution was available, we I, I remember a couple that they were both uh, retired but and had their own health insurance uh, plan. They were both eligible to contribute to the HSA and do a catch up. And so we sent them off to the bank and said, okay, go max out the family contribution and do two grand as catch up contributions. And they came back and said, no, the bank won't let us do that. They'll, they'll only let us contribute a thousand. And I'm like pulling my hair out thinking, no, I'm, I'm confident you can each do a thousand. We need to, you know, do a call or we, we need to kind of push back on this and just could not get the, the bank to budge. 
And it, it wasn't until like a year later that we realized, oh, the, the bank was requiring that the second spouse open their own HSA to do their portion of the catch up. So they had to open a second HSA just to throw a thousand bucks into it. Mm-hmm. Makes no sense. Why, why can the family contribution yeah. go into one account but not both catch-ups? Oh, well, there you go again, Josh, trying to make sense of all this. <laughs> the, I mean, I'm actually surprised, Josh. I remember when that happened. That was a long. It was a long time ago, and we had been working with HSAs and giving advice on them um, for for a while. But most of the rest of the world wasn't, mm-hmm. and banks in particular didn't have a clue how these things worked and so we would i mean just to just to give you the benefit of the doubt josh there's several instances where we would give instructions to the client or to the bank and the bank would say oh no that's not right and no it is right okay um one of the things you need to watch out for because i still see this today is even if you're contributing to your hsa up until that tax filing deadline for the previous year you've got to make sure it's explicit that hey this contribution's for last year as opposed to for the current year. Because from January 1 until April 15, you can contribute to your HSA, and it could be for the current year or for the previous year. That's right. And if the bank doesn't know, they'll make an assumption. And if they make the wrong assumption, you got big problems. And that's often when I, I fund my HSA. So I have to like physically go to the bank, fill out a form, make sure that this contribution is going in for the prior year. Uh, because I've I've had it get messed up before. Yeah, we so, we have too. And when you have when you over contribute to the HSA, this is, we're going to get into these scenarios in a second. It's easy to fix, but it does take some time and obviously some awareness. Otherwise, there's penalties and there's some some challenges. So, with that backdrop of how the HSA works, so easy, right? Uh, <laughs> what are some tax traps. And yeah, all these unique rules, those weren't the traps. As you get close to retirement and in retirement, there are some specific tax traps that we want to help you avoid and plan around. There's three of them that we're going to help you with. So we've got that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. All right, there's some there's some issues with the HSA, contributing to the HSA, and Medicare. Now, there's great advantages, but there's some tax traps that you need to watch out for. We're sharing those right now to help you plan around them. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. So the HSA, fantastic plan. And I don't have the percentages, but Gosh, 20 years ago, maybe 10% of the workforce had HSA plans, high deductible health plans. Um, it's maybe 50% now. It's it's definitely a, a larger number. Mm-hmm. Um, and so more people are using funding HSAs because they have an HSA eligible high deductible health plan as they're approaching retirement. But the issue is it doesn't play nice with Medicare. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it stems to... This issue that, well, are you eligible to contribute to a health savings account and deduct your contribution? The answer is yes, if you have an HSA-eligible high-deductible health plan. Not period, but comma. And you don't have any other health insurance. Mm -hmm. Most people leave that out. It's like, well, what's the contribution limit to your Roth IRA? $6,500. No, it's up to 100% of of your earned income 
or 6,500, whichever is less. Mm -hmm. So this this unique thing with the HSA is, well, as long as you don't have any other health insurance. So this means, this prevents you from saying, well, I've got an HSA eligible plan through my employer. Spouse, you have a really low deductible through your employer. So let's each get on both and we'll fund an HSA, a, a, a health savings account, get that deduction and enjoy the benefits of a very low deductible plan. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. As you approach Medicare, this becomes an issue. So scenario tax trap number one, you continue working past age 65, but you don't opt out of Medicare Part A and you're still funding your HSA. Is this a problem? It is because uh, that second piece of the requirement that you were just articulating, you can't say that you are not on another health plan. As soon as you have... Medicare Part A as part of your coverage package, it makes you ineligible to, to contribute to the HSA. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that you couldn't get it done. Like you, you might be able to still make a deposit into your HSA because the bank doesn't necessarily know what you've done over here kind of on the side. They don't know what you've done with Medicare Part A, right? Mm-hmm. So you could be contributing to the HSA. Everything is working just like it always has. And you don't realize that you're actually making um, ineligible contributions. That right. stuff's got to get fixed. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, the question is, well, and I've said this before, and I can't believe I'm going to say it on the radio, but I am. I, how would they know? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know the rules that you're not allowed to do that. And so making sure that at age 65, when you might automatically be added to Social Security Part A, you opt out, you make sure that you don't have Part A so that you continue to still just have one insurance, that's a HSA-eligible high-deductible health plan, and that allows you to still contribute to your HSA. Yeah. I, I certainly wonder if over time these agencies, you know, if the Medicare system can start talking to the IRS, if there will be data shared between I, government yeah. branches, so to speak. Um, but for right now, uh, again, like you, you could actually be compounding the problem. I think, Kevin, you were sharing at a break that – uh, some folks came in and they uh, had been contributing years past their eligibility. Yes. So th- this is the thing. It's you know, Mike says, well, how would they ever know? It the problem is right now. It's likely that they they wouldn't know, um, and it's a it's a systems issue. So whether it's systems or it's eighty seven thousand new agents, they're 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 working towards knowing these types of things. Yeah. So you, we all operate in the system of voluntary compliance. We know what the rules are and we follow the rules. That's, yeah. that's, the, that's the way, one of the many ways to have peace in your life. That is one of the things that makes this country great too. Yeah, absolutely. Because that is not true and, around, and, no, around the world, right? right? It is, no, how do I get away um, with, with as much as possible? Who, who can I pay off? That, that sort of thing. And we are a nation of laws and we do comply on the whole. Um, and that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Go to a country rich in natural resources and with great ports and every reason to be a wealthy country. And they're not. And you say, why not? Because of corruption, because yeah. of yeah. the rule of law, fee, simple ownership of uh, property, all these types of things. So this Let's let's keep America with, 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 great here. Within I'm, the sorry. within this tax trap of of not opting out of Part A, I actually stumbled onto a scenario 
that, again, is still embedded in this, in this first tax trap, and that is the one individual is working in, 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 a, in a married couple. One individual is working, has an HSA-eligible high-deductible health plan. Spouse it has already retired and is not working and is drawing Social Security. Automatically going to be added onto Medicare Part A. And when I found this out, I said, well, wait a second. I, I, I don't think you can contribute the family amount to your HSA. And he said, well, no, I'm, so we still have family coverage. I said, I know, but but your spouse, but spouse has, has yeah. Part A. And and normally you talk about this sort of stuff and people think you're, you're crazy and why are you making up all these rules? But this individual was aware of this. They had already worked on it with their company and had hired a Social Security attorney and got a regular a ruling that said no, um, even if, if the non-working spouse isn't the one that carries the insurance, and yeah, they're covered. But if they've got Part A only, you can still contribute the family amount. I, I'm not saying that that's gospel. That's what they've found, and so so great. But that's this gets this stuff gets really really confusing. The big idea is if you are contributing to your HSA and want to continue to do so even after age 65 while you're working. Don't get on Part A. Make sure you opt out of Part A of, uh, of Medicare. Right, and understand. So, because what is this this six month look back period? Well, that's trap number two. Okay, so okay. so so the second issue, and it connects right to this first one, is and this one's a biggie. This one's this one's really big. You're still working. So, kind of continuation of of, of scenario number one. You're still working past age sixty five. You've got your group insurance and and. One of the reasons or one of the tax strategies you're doing is, well, I'm still working and I'm not getting on to Medicare so that I can fund my HSA every single year. So then you work until age 66 or 67 or 68. And at that point, you say, OK, now I've retired. I'll shift directly onto Medicare. I'll fund my HSA right up until I leave. And then I'll tra transition on to Medicare. And the big gotcha is Medicare automatically enrolls you six months earlier six months earlier, which means you were supposed to stop your HSA contribution six months prior to the time you actually retired. Imagine how messy that can be if you retired on January 1st or something yeah, and or, or early into a new year and they go back a calendar year, they could start messing with tax returns in two different years, right? Oh, absolutely. You've got to, you, you've got to amend or something, but basically you've got to, you've got to fix that. We've got a question here just from a couple of weeks ago from a fan of the show who's got that exact same scenario it was basically saying, this is what I was doing. Then all of a sudden I'm met with, I, I was enrolled in Medicare six months prior. Is this, is this the reality? Do I need to do something here? So here's a scenario. I'm, I'm happily working. I hit 65. I don't sign up for social security and I don't do Medicare. I stay on my my group plan. I hit 66 in 10 months. Now I'm at my, my full retirement age. I'm still working. I'm happy. I'm staying on my retire my employees, my employer's plan. But I say I'd like some extra income. So I'm going to draw social security because I'm at full retirement age. Yeah. Anytime over 65 that I sign up for social security, it goes back six months, Medicare part a yeah. and Medicare Part A and Social Security can't be delinked. Yeah, um, so they are think peanut butter and jelly. I mean, it's just it's, it, it's <laughs> no, thank you. It's 
uh, cookies and milk. It, <laughs> it's it's it. They're together, and you can't separate them. And that is, I mean, the, all of these kind of random trivial facts that people need to know and understand, because you 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 wouldn't logically think through this and say, well, of course I'm ineligible for the prior six months. Yeah, right. No, but, there's no way. And and that that change came around in 1983 when they said, listen, when people sign up for Medicare. We're going to automatically push it back six months. We're going to make it effective for the prior six months. So there's there's not big issues between hopping off my employer plan and hopping on to I mean, at least Medicare. there was logic applied to that. However, it creates a lot of confusion, and it's not logical that's how it works. Yeah. So you've got to plan around it. So sure. All right, so those are two of the tax traps. What do you do if you fall into one of those? And what's the third tax trap? We've got that more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. All right, what are some tax traps with the HSA and Medicare? They they don't play nice together, and then how do you fix it? We're helping with that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFT studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go check it out. Search the Wise Money Show and then subscribe to it there and then rate the program at your favorite podcast uh, platform as well. We appreciate that. Okay, so HSA, fantastic tool. It's an extremely versatile financial instrument. It's the only thing that I know of that is pre-tax in, pre-tax out, or pre-tax in, tax-free out. Um, and so if you have an HSA eligible high deductible plan, I hope, we hope that you are using this thing and working with your CFP to see how exactly you should use it. As you approach retirement, get near Medicare, uh, it creates some challenges. And we've talked about two of them. This is very complicated, very complicated. The third tax trap is complicated as well. But the, the root of it is each person technically, so there's an owner, there's one owner of an HSA. There's not a joint HSA account is basically the premise. And Josh sort of warned me before we got into this, hey, this one is really complicated. I just faced it. You might see this scenario as well. Here it is. One spouse is carrying the health insurance for the family. That's reasonable. And that health insurance is an HSA-eligible high-deductible health plan. So they start funding the HSA right out of their paycheck. That HSA, that, that bank account that was set up, is, is in that person's name. So then when they retire, they have to stop contributing to the HSA. No problem. But the spouse decides to continue that insurance via COBRA or, you know, something else because they're not eligible for Medicare just yet. And if they continue through COBRA, it's an HSA eligible plan. If they get uh, Affordable Care Act insurance, Medicare.gov, and they choose an HSA plan, then right? They can continue to contribute to an HSA. So they want it easy. Well, let me just contribute contribute to the HSA that I had before. But the HSA that you had before is actually in your other spouse's name, your other right? spouse's name. No yeah. one views HSAs as an individual like IRAs. Don't say that. It's, it's IRA. <laughs> the I stands for individual. We know that you can't have a joint IRA, but we, it, when you're married, Everyone's using the HSA. It's you even have both people have a debit card, credit card against it. So why not? It's it's viewed joint. It's not. It's individual. That's right. So in your scenario, if 
the second spouse takes over the health insurance using COBRA, they have to essentially take over the ownership of their own HSA as well. You can't keep contributing to that former spouse. If that eventually gets caught down the road, you've got to pull that money back out. And there are, you know, there's mechanisms in place. There's procedures and forms and things that you could work with your HSA bank to pull uh, contributions back out that weren't supposed to be in there. Mm-hmm. But by pulling them back out, what what if you're pulling them back out a year or two later? Right. You can't go back and then make the right contribution to you know, the, the right HSA. And so now you're in a situation where you're amending tax returns, you're going to pay some more tax, uh, maybe even some, some penalties and, and things. So this is, this is a complicated enough topic. The, the point in all of this is you want to get it right the first time. Yeah. And, you know, especially at transition points in your life where one spouse is retiring or you're changing jobs or changing health insurance plans in general, you're, you're um, enrolling in Medicare any of these types of events, you want to just pause and say, do I know what the tax ramifications are? Do I know what the health insurance ramifications are? And yes, if I've been using an HSA, do I know how the rules are changing because of this transition point in my life? Your certified financial planner, in collaboration with your health insurance expert, you, you want to have a team of professionals that are are integrating the advice that you're receiving together so that these types of details don't get missed. That's right. It requires comprehensive financial planning and ideally with a team of professionals so that your CFP is either on the same team as your tax preparer and health insurance advisor, or at least at the very least, they're collaborating and aware. The point is not, and I think you could receive this, the point is not well, I'm going to stop contributing to my HSA that, that, you know, this thing is rife with challenges and traps. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. Figure out, make sure that you understand the rules and you're following the rules. And if you do find out if this is news to you and, oh, I, I've done this, then it's actually pretty easy to simply withdraw the excess amount out of your HSA and make sure that it's not something you deduct. You can do that up until your tax filing deadline. And I don't even think there's a form required. You just make sure that you don't over deduct. It's just, if you've already done it and you're catching it after the fact, Mm -hmm. that's where you've got to amend. And it's a little bit more involved of a process. That's right. You know, the, the transition into retirement, um, having this impact that we've been talking about on your health savings account, it, it's one of the reasons why some people will choose one date for retirement over another as yeah. well. You know, I, I think we, we've gotten that question a lot. Is there a best time of year to retire? Well, if you're contributing to an HSA, be aware of one of those earlier traps we were talking about. Uh, when you sign up for Medicare Part A or start your Social Security and automatically get Medicare Part A, uh, just know they're looking backwards six months. And so your HSA eligibility may not have taken you right up. It will not have taken you right up to your retirement date. I mean, it's interesting because if you retire before age 65, you don't really need to worry about this. But if you retire before age 65, what you do need to worry about is where are you going to get your health insurance from before Medicare, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, often these traps come in play if you're still working past age 65. Um, But Listen, you can plan through it with with the right guidance, right help. That's right. It brings me back to sort of a, this isn't a tax trap, but it's just something that we haven't hit with how the HSA works. And that is, 
what's your contribution limit? How much are you allowed to contribute to this thing in a year when you have an HSA plan for part of the year? And see, I'm I'm using those terms too. The, a high an HSA eligible high deductible health plan for part of the year, and then you switch on to Medicare for the other part of the year. Or let's say you switch employers, and the employer that you were that you your original you know employer that you started the year with, you had a PPO plan and then you change jobs and now you've got an HSA plan. It's pro rata, mm-hmm. right? So you take a look at how many months did you have what coverage and you simply do a fraction. I was helping the, the oldest child with fraction math the other day. Nice. Uh, it wasn't nice, actually. That's kind of, <laughs> kind of you to say. Uh, we didn't get in a huge fight, but uh, it wasn't wasn't fun. And but but you just apply the fraction, the fraction to what the annual contribution limit is. Just wait for algebra. Yeah, I know. That's my encouragement to you. So so ultimately, at some point when you retire, whether you are retiring, you know, at directly at age sixty-five, I suppose that's probably the easiest. If you retire directly at age sixty-five and you transition directly onto Medicare, that's probably the most reasonable scenario. But if you're married, that could cause some issues. I mean, guys, just need to be aware. Yeah. I mean, th- this is sort of the, the the crux of the issue. A An HSA-eligible high-deductible health plan was a rarity 20 years ago. It is being used more and more uh, these days. This is a fantastic tool. We talk about it all the time, using and funding your HSA. You can think of it for current medical expenses to help you you know, make sure you're paying those with, with tax-advantaged dollars. Uh, you could think of that as a retirement account and stuff dollars in it, treat it as long-term money, so invest it for your financial future. Um, it's a significant, you know, a, a big advantage, a great, great tool. However, it uh, it has some issues and some some traps with it as you're approaching as you're approaching retirement. I guess a couple other things that I would mention as far as traps and then and then we'll transition is when you're in retirement, it's important to know what you're able to use your HSA for and what you're not able to use your HSA for. And we're, the list is far too long. You wouldn't even read it if if you know we sent it to you or if it was if it was on the website. Um, at, for retirement, you need to know that Medicare Part B premiums and Part D premiums, and if you have a Part C premium, it it, it can work there as well. You can use your HSA for that. Medicare Part B, Part D. You cannot use your HSA for your Medicare supplement plan. And the the mind bender on this is your Part B premium needs to be paid from your Social Security. Mm-hmm. So you have to reimburse yourself from your HSA. Your supplement, you've got to pay out of pocket. And so it works the opposite way. But just know what you can and can't use your HSA for in retirement. So, All right. We've got questions from fans of the show. That more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFT studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show, as well as a bunch of other content, is on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Subscribe to it there. Search the Wise Money Show. We've got every episode of the of the Wise Money Show, these talk shows, but then a lot of other content. Gosh, five topics or more each, each and every week. So make sure you check out the Wise Money Show on YouTube. 
subscribe to it, turn on notifications so you're aware every time we drop new content. All right, we're into the long list of questions from fans. The show, most of them come on the YouTube channel. You start with a question from Jim here. Hey, what do you think? The Trump tax cuts, you think they'll continue after tax year 2025? I'm wondering if I should ramp up my Roth conversions right now just in case the Trump tax cuts sunset. What's that all about? Do you have an opinion on that, Kevin? I don't know, Jim. That's a great question. There are lots of folks that are looking and they're saying, okay, this is going to impact if you own a business likely or you have a situation where your net worth is north of $6 million, you're likely going to be looking at federal estate tax issues. And it, Jim, you're not talking about federal estate tax. You're talking about federal income tax. And I just don't know. So this is where what you have to do is you have to assemble all the, the data and make the best decision that you possibly can. Um, and I don't know enough about your situation, Jim, to even give you any kind of guidance. You know, my, my own personal opinion is that you have to plan as if they are going to sunset, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's what's set in the law. They're going to revert back to pre-Trump um, laws, and it will result for most people in a, a pretty significant tax jump, right? Mm-hmm. And I, who knows, like what what kind of financial condition the nation will be in when that date comes, but man, if, if you had an opportunity to let taxes increase without having to pass a law to make it happen, you know, no, no one has to be the unpopular, you know, um, do, do the, uh, it's almost political suicide sometimes to have major tax increases on your resume, yeah, right? right. Um, but it doesn't have to be in this, in this case. It can just be allowed to happen. And so to me, what you know is there are some very favorable tax laws that exist today. And you have to take advantage of them while they exist because you don't know if they will still exist down the road. In fact, I, I tend to be um, in the camp that would say, just look at history and where have tax rates typically fallen. We're, we're on the lower end of the spectrum right now. And if they, if they start to swing back the other direction, we may look back on these years and say, oh, man, I wish I had taken more advantage of things like Roth, contribu- or Roth contributions or conversions to pay your tax at these lower rates and avoid it in the future. Yeah, I, okay, so just and just to set the stage, Trump tax cuts, not my term, that's just what people are calling it, um, move tax brackets from 10, 15, 25, and so on, down to 10, 12, 22. And when those were passed by Congress, it was, well, this makes sense today, and we'll put this in place for, you know, X number of years, 10 years. But after that, it wasn't 10 years, eight years, I think, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but they're going to revert back to how they were unless Congress at the time says, yeah, we want to keep this. OK. Yeah. And here's the thing, Josh, you, you nailed it, in my opinion. Well, Kevin, you did, too. I can't see the future. So next question. I, yes, that's true. But uh, what's the trajectory of our national debt? Pretty big. I know, uh, I I know. So that that you could be broken clock right on this one. I know. So because but, but I, here's the thing, like it, so pop uh, politicians, it's still a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. You still want to get elected for your party or or whatever your agenda, and so no one, I I don't know, no one. I, it's going to be hard for someone to campaign on. 
hey, I think we need to raise taxes. I think we need, but no one needs to be the bad guy in this way or in this case. Mm -hmm. So I think the odds of having them sunset and revert back, I would put that over 50% as opposed to, well, it's just a coin flip. No one knows. Uh, Just a little bit. I wouldn't say, oh yeah, they're definitely going to sunset and we're going to go back, but I think the odds are. Even if they don't sunset, then all we'll be saying out there in the future is, hey, great, we still have awesome tax rates. Let's take advantage of these, yeah, right? Right. So whatever strategy makes sense today, we'll just get it prolonged out yep. there in the future. So I, I don't know. I'm a fan of letting, you know, we, we talk a lot about multi-year tax projections. You really can only base your future forecasts on what you know today. There's no, there's an infinite number of new tax laws that could be passed out in the future and change the whole game. Yep. Right. That's right. So do base your decisions today on what you know today. And we know that today tax rates are very favorable. Jim, do that multi-year tax projection, work with your CFP. And yeah, I, I, it's very, it's very possible that you should be considering ramping up your Roth conversions. Next question here from Jeff. Is the Roth IRA income limit based on your gross income or your net income? Uh, no, <laughs> I think I think is the is the answer. So so how does that work, Josh? Well, so what what we're talking about is not everyone can contribute directly to a Roth IRA. Uh, your income each year has to stay under. If you're married, two hundred eighteen thousand this year. If you're single, I think the number is what like a hundred and 38. 38. That's good. Thank you. Um, but this is this is not all the income that you've earned because you have contributed maybe to a 401k or you have some pre-tax items that are helping to squeeze that number down. And um, there are certain adjustments that uh, you, you can make to almost kind of force yourself to become eligible for this. Um, but it's not taxable income after you've taken all of your deductions. It, this is uh, a modified adjusted gross income, which is pure jargon, mm-hmm. but it's a calculated amount on your tax return that is like we can look at a line and see this number to determine whether or not you're eligible. Yeah, I, I actually don't even think that is modified. I think it's just your straight up adjusted gross. Yep. Mm-hmm. So so here's the thing. It's it's not net income, meaning after all of your deductions on your on your taxes. So what would be called taxable income, but it's not gross income either. It's a little bit strange. I, I We've seen this a lot where you look at what you're earning on your paycheck and no, it's not that gross number. You get to subtract your pre-tax 401k or 403b, your HSA, those those sorts of things. So those pre-tax items. But it's not just your wages that go into the, this calculation. Mm-hmm. Your interest, your dividends, capital gains, any other income, it's all added up and on your adjusted gross income and that influences whether you're eligible or not. Uh, my understanding is, and I don't know all the nuances to this and whether there's any, you know, if, thens, you know, whatever, but doing a Roth conversion doesn't mean if you do a Roth conversion and that's what pushes you over the income threshold, those adjusted gross income thresholds, that doesn't make you ineligible to contribute to a Roth. Um, there might be some exceptions to that, although I'm, I'm not sure. So so it's a little bit of both. And so there's the thing, proactive tax planning. If you got a bonus this year or you know spouse goes back to work or whatever, got a second job, I don't know. And all of a sudden your income, it looks like it's going to be above the threshold. Contribute more to your 401k. You know, add add some more contribution to your your high deductible health, your your HSA, and uh, and that can help. So 
All it right. is modified adjusted gross income it for is. the record. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How is it modified? I don't know. <laughs> There's a gazillion different versions of modified, right? Yeah, because I'm on the IRS. It's it's interesting. You're you're looking at the news release on the IRS website, and it says uh, f- income. It just says yeah. income, so it doesn't even clarify. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I would have guessed it was modified now, exactly what's modified or not. Okay, we've got another question in here. I, I think we can squeeze it in. If you make 200000 per year, do you pay the equivalent of four tax brackets, uh, four tax bracket levels, or are you completely, all of your, uh, is all of that income taxed at the 24% bracket? So it's a step, it's a, it's it basically on a step through. So if you make 200000 assume you're, Let's just assume you're married. That's easier. If you're not, you can cut these in half for the most part. But on the first twenty thousand, you're going to pay ten percent. Now this is taxable income, so it's on the first twenty, it's a ten percent. On the next, between twenty and eighty, twelve percent, eighty and one hundred and seventy, it's at twenty-two percent. This is the biggest, one of the biggest misconceptions about our tax code. When you hear about tax brackets and jumping into the next tax bracket. It's really just that next dollar that falls into right. the, the next tax bracket. All the earlier dollars were taxed at lower rates. So you you pay tax at a variety of different rates, not just one That's, that you land in. And that is that is good news. More complicated, but that is good news. That's nice right. question, right. G-Bass. That is all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This third scenario is really complicated right and i think what folks are craving right now is complexity (laughs) so let's let's i think they're craving sarcasm Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.